Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our author events at www.skylightbooks.com. At our website, you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. And don't be afraid to follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. I just want to say thank you very much for coming. Turn off those pagers and beepers, and uh, thank you very much. And here we go. Julius? Yeah. So, yeah, um, we reserved some seats in the front row for the readers who understandably and kind of awesomely want to sit with their families. So we do have seats up front and definitely for the littler kids. If you guys want to come up front and sit on the ground, that space is available right here, guys. Okay? Yeah, there we go. Okay. So, hey, one more time. Welcome. Welcome to Skylight Books for the release party for You Never Forget How to Ride a Bike. Um, my name is Julius. I'm the director of education at 826LA, the writing and tutoring nonprofit that worked with these students to publish this book. And honestly, you guys don't want to hear a whole lot of me tonight. You want to hear mostly from the students who wrote. So I'm going to turn it over very, very quickly to our executive director, Joel Arkios. And why not? Right now. Hello. Hello. Um, First of all, I just, uh, this is, I always say this, this is my favorite time of year when we release one of these books. It makes all the difference in the world. I was a teacher uh, for eight years in San Francisco, and I got to do one of these projects with the original chapter in 826 Valencia. And for those of you who know what 826 is, the numbers, it's kind of a weird thing. 826 Valencia was the address of the first location in San Francisco in the Mission District. Um, ever since then, we've opened 826 chapters in eight cities across the country. Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Boston. Austin. Uh, we're opening in Washington, D.C. next year. So uh, what we do is we provide free services to young people in, with writing. So we focus on writing. We will do college essays. We will do poetry. We'll do whatever students want to do to get them excited about the written word. We uh, support teachers in the classroom. And this book that uh, we're celebrating today is an example of what we call the Young Authors Book Project. We spend up to three months with the classroom and with students working on draft after draft after draft until they get a final product that they're happy with, and then they become these published authors. And I remember the first day we walked into your class, all these, those three classes, I looked into that crowd and I was like, oh my goodness. Are these guys going to do this? Are they, gonna, are they really going to impress us here? And I was, I was like, you know, and I, I was taught for many years, so I've been there. I know what that's like. And I am blown away. I, after that first class, I thought maybe some of you would be like, you know what, we're not going to do it. And then you guys kept coming back, and you had your drafts that first day. And then the tutors came. We had like 15 to 16 tutors come that first day. And you worked hard, and you created something amazing that you should be very proud of. People work all their lives to get published in a book like this, all right? Here you are, you're a published author. So when you uh, fill out your application for college, make sure you conclude a copy of this and you let them know that they could search you in Amazon and that you are a published author and that you are going to be famous one day. So um, thank you so much for, for being a part of this book. It makes us really proud that you allowed us in your classrooms and to the teachers. And I know Julius will call out more folks later on, but um, thank you for letting us be a part of your lives for this past year. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, so like Joel, as Joel said, before we begin, there are a couple of people I would like to recognize tonight. Um, first off, A26LA, there are five of us full-time on staff. There are 
what, five now? Part-time people on staff, and obviously we're not doing everything on our own. And I'm looking out there, and I see a lot of you here tonight. I would like to recognize all of the 826LA volunteers. Everyone who went out into the classroom, everyone who helped edit the book. Can you guys stand up and like wave around? I'm going to point you out if you don't, okay? Right there, there's Allison. I know Diana's hiding behind some shelves over there. Will, you are not waving a hand back there. Guys, Regina. Okay, thank you to all of the 826LA volunteers. Okay, a couple of more really extra special people to thank, and there are only four of you, so you can't get out of it. First one is maybe trying to get out of it right now. Terry Class, right there. Okay, Kevin Moran, can you stand up? Jeffrey Coleman, I think you're in the back, and Ken Brown. These are the four teachers who welcomed us into their classroom so that we could work with these students to write this amazing book. Okay. All of the students are great, you guys are gonna get your due tonight, but I wanna recognize an extra special group, okay? Can I have the editorial board stand up? For the editorial board members who are maybe behind the shelves, can I have you come out from behind the shelves? Andrea, you're there, Eb, you're there. Come on, come on. Cindy standing up, thank you, Cindy. Cesar Franco up here, student editorial board. I'm gonna read your names out right now so we can't ignore you, okay? It, Stephanie Aguilar, where are you? Point her out, guys. Stephanie, thank you. Mahalet Asafal right there next to her. Is Cindy Batres here? Oh, Cindy. But Cindy Canelo is stand up again. Thanks, Cindy. Okay. Ebenezer Alvarado back there. Cesar Franco again over here. Roxy, I saw you over there. David Hakopian, Olivia Melgoza. Back there, you waved. Wave higher, wave harder, guys. Okay, Michelle Nahra, is she here tonight? Could she make it? Maybe not, okay? But Jenny Park is here, as is Jane Song. Is Genesis here? Jane Song right there, okay? Yesenia, Yesenia Vasquez had to leave tonight, unfortunately. Andrea Wasawas, you have to come out. Right here. Andrea Wasawas, guys, okay? Athena Valdez, is she here? Oh, man. Anyways, the student editorial board, guys. This book would not be here if it weren't for them. This cover, their idea. The title for the book, their idea. They're so much smarter than we are, and really, it wouldn't have been here without them, okay? And last, not least, all the students who contributed to this book. So I'm going to ask all of you guys to stand up right now and take one giant round of applause. Okay, um, I suppose I should do some sort of obligatory turn your cell phone off message. So if you haven't done so already, please do. We're about to get now to the best part of the night. This is your, this is many of your first introductions to the book, the students reading their pieces tonight. Um, first up, I'd like to introduce one of our 12th graders, Fabiola Adame. <laughs> Hi, hello. <laughs> um, my story is called Untitled, and I'll start it. Memoir is my name, but everybody calls me Mummy. I am 10 years old. 
who am I? This is what I ask myself every day. I attend Franklin Avenue Elementary School. A typical day for me is hiding my face in the crowd and being ashamed of who I am. I remember it as clear as day when my mom just bought me the cutest sweater ever. So I thought. I was so excited to finally be able to wear it. I was even more excited that maybe finally I would receive a compliment. Oh man, was I hoping. I could still smell the brand new aroma of fall, the sway of delicacy of falling leaves. It was an exceptional fall day. I arrived to school at 8.01 a.m. Quietly, I walked into class and took a seat. For once, I thought I looked presentable to the students and to him. As the day went on, lunch finally approached. As I was standing in line, this kid in back of me said, you dumb fatty, can't you move? You're blocking the line. I wish I knew then what I know now, but I was young and hurt. I ran to the bathroom stall to find comfort behind closed doors. There, no one can see the unappealing me. After 10 minutes passed, I heard the Miss Perfects coming into the bathroom. They were babbling and laughing at what happened at lunch line and how ridiculously, ridiculously stupid I looked in my new sweater. After they had fun talking about me, they left. I was enraged. I stepped out of the stall, ripped my sweater apart, and threw it in the garbage. I asked myself, why am I so different? Allison is my name, but everybody calls me Allie. I am 12 years old and I attend Thomas Star King Middle School. Daily question, who am I? I have to put an end to the chaos and pains pain kids created towards me in elementary school. Memmy is gone, and Allie is the person who has emerged. You see, now I see weakness as pain, a color of torn blood. I have learned that if you show weakness, it is your death. As much as I always try to hide my dear Memmy, she is still inside of me. She is my innocence, a delicate rose that blooms throughout the year, even when most of her peers think of her as wilted petals. I have to hide her. It's a must. I am a commander now. I have friends, especially to them, and I cannot show kindness in any aspect. I have to be the faithful soldier. It is the beginning of third period. My friend Teresa is talking to me about this girl who supposedly gave her a bad stare and looked as she was gossiping about Teresa with this other chick who was standing next to her. Honestly, my friend Teresa isn't sure if that girl really was talking about her. She says, I don't really know if she was, but she was looking at me. That must mean something. Teresa doesn't care if it is a mistake. She wants drama. She asks if I can have her back. And honestly, I don't have a choice at the moment. She wants to crucify that girl. I don't want to seem like the unfaithful soldier. Soldier, I want to be in charge. Later in the day, where three other girls and four boys lurking in the shadows like predators waiting for the kill. 30 seconds pass and, and the girl comes out of her class. Unlike a lioness that attacks her prey alone, we become a pack of hyenas that surrounds the kill. I scream horrible words to this girl, as if I've been with her all her life, and I know every mistake she has committed. She doesn't say anything. She is scared, and I see a flash of fear in her eyes. I go, I go into shock, and I stop. I, continue, I can't continue this anymore. In the girl's eyes, I see Memmi. I see myself. I know Memmi was treated badly, but it doesn't give Allie a reason to become the horrifying monster that Memmi was always scared of. I have to change. I have to find myself and keep both Memmi and Allie and unite them together to become one person. Thank you.
Excellent. Thank you, Fabi. Um, every year. Yeah, well, let's clap again for her. Why not? I feel like every year when we do one of these young authors book projects, we get one of those students who really wants to push the limits of the forms they've learned in school and outside. And we chose Fabiola's piece to open the book precisely because it's one of those pieces delving into multiple personalities, into multiple timelines and everything. Um, and of course, if you want to find out what happens to Ali and Memi and what, you know, who comes out in the end, you got to pick up the book, guys. Okay. Um, next up. We have one of the 11th grade students on this project, Omar Montez. Um, hello, um, my name is Omar, and my book is called Coffee. I could feel my skin burning and peeling. I was at the laundry with my friends, and I could hear the neighborhood kids who I, who I once called friends laughing at me as I dropped to the floor screaming in pain. Some people watch while others just turn away. I could have easily avoided this if I just listened to my dad. He told me to be very careful when I held hot beverages, but I didn't listen. And now I was facing the consequences. It was around 4 in the afternoon when my parents picked me up from school and drove me to the laundromat near my house. When I got there, I saw some kids running around and others asking, for their, mom, asking their moms for quarters for the video game machine. I was just about to sit down when I saw a, a, a couple of other kids with coffee cups. I looked around and saw a giant sign that said free coffee to customers only. I read the sign and said it to myself, I'm a customer, so I get free coffee. I've always liked the smell of freshly brewed coffee. My dad always had a cup in the morning and seemed to enjoy it, and so did my mom. But, I, that, but they wouldn't allow me to drink it. I was only 10 years old, and my dad said I shouldn't be drinking coffee at that age because caffeine will make me go crazy and I wouldn't grow any taller. <laughs> Without thinking, I ran to the coffee table and noticed it, it was unintended. So I grabbed the hot pot and poured myself a cup. I placed the cup on the table and reached for the creamer and some sugar. I had finished preparing, preparing my coffee and was just about to sit down when I slipped on some juice on the floor. I spilled the coffee all over my chest. I started screaming and my mom quickly rushed over to me to see what was wrong. I couldn't even explain. I was in pain and panic. My parents rushed to my parents rushed to me to the car and took me to a doctor. When I got there, the doctor gave me ointment and some painkillers. After I went back home, I laid down on my bed with some cloth wrapped around my chest. I learned a lot that day because of that experience. I am more careful with hot beverages like coffee. You would never expect me to drink coffee ever again, but I've been drinking it ever since. And guess what? That I'm taller than ever. <laughs> Thank you, Omar, for that and for easily one of the best last lines in the entire book. <sighs> Excellent. Next up, actually, um, we had a reader who had to step out unexpectedly tonight, but we do have someone who will be reading his piece. So if I could have Alex come up, actually, to read The Best Worst Day. <clears throat> oh. No mic, dude? Huh? Oh. Man, it's a lot of people. <laughs> okay, um, it's called The Best Worst Day. As a freshman, students tend to change their identities based on the people around them. I know I did. During my first year of high school, there were so many cliques. There were the typical high school ones, jocks, Asians, rockers, gangsters, etc. 
I was leaning more toward the gangster clique. Kids with the extra large pro club jackets, dicky pants hanging below their butts. Faces always under a hood. The type of clique that no good student wanted to be affiliated with. Believe it or not, I was proud to be part of this so-called cool group. The people who were in this clique were mostly under underachievers. Kids who got low grades, slept in class, and paid no attention to the teacher. Before being a part of this group, I had been a good student who respected everyone. I had completely changed my identity based on the people in this group. When you conform to an image that's not truly you, you tend to push away what you used to be yourself. Being labeled as a gangster was a good thing in this clique and seemed cool at the time. My friends and I would open our fellow students' backpacks and take anything that we could possibly sell for money. Sneaking around, taking people's stuff, we didn't care who, who, the people, who the person we stole from was or how they felt. The only reason I did it was because everyone else was doing it. It was like licking a frozen plague bowl. First you think it's fun because everyone else is doing it, but you quickly regret it. The adrenaline rush I felt while opening people's backpacks made me want to do it even more. If there was a pickpocketing class, my clique would have passed it, no doubt. As I continued to steal, I finally got caught by a security guard who happened to pass by while I had my hands inside a backpack. The security guard took me to the main office, and from there, a school officer took me to his office and read me my rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you. As soon as he said that, my world fell apart. It felt, it felt as if someone was ripping, ripping me up from inside out. I thought to myself, I'm going to jail. What should I do? I can't let my mom find out about this. I'll just go to jail and come back as if nothing happened. Inside me was a little boy, yearning for his mother's comfort. The type of comfort you get when you're inside a warm house, drinking hot chocolate while, while, it's, while it is freezing cold outside. As part of this cool clique, I had to stay strong and not show fear. But the situation made me feel as if this fake image of me were breaking apart. I felt weightless, as if this burden of fear and problems had finally been lifted off my back. What happened inside that small room was the turning point of my life. I realized that I was really up to no good and that I should keep away from people who got me into all this trouble. For me, getting caught wasn't the worst day of my life. It was a new beginning. If this experience hadn't helped me understand the true meaning of guilt and regret, who knows what type of a person I would be today. I needed to start fresh and find myself a new set of friends who would accept me for who I am and not for the things I do. Looking at the new set of freshmen, at my school and watching them go through the same things I did makes me want to slap them and point out their mistakes. But I realize I'm helpless to stop them. They won't change until they actually experience things for, them, for themselves. When you ignore your feelings in order to fit in, you often find that you have turned into someone you don't recognize. As a senior, I have noticed how much I've grown apart from my old friends. Some of them remain the same, still smoking, drinking, and doing bad in school. Others became immersed in addiction to drugs or alcohol or spending a lifetime in jail or, unfortunately, having to raise a family of their own at the age of 16. But there were also those like me who made the right choice, who found a new set of friends who had, the, who had a positive impact on, impact on them. That's it. <laughs> Class of 2010. Awesome. Thank you, Alex, for reading Aaron's piece. And before we move on, I just want to 
point out a little something. Um, Aaron, the author, actually read this piece himself at the LA Times Festival of Books, and you may or may not know that Dave Eggers, the author, is one of the founders of 826 National. He pulled me aside after that, and he told me that we had to get this piece into as many people's hands as we could, because it was the best, hands down, like story he had ever heard about a young student turning his life around. So, Aaron, if you can hear this, Dave Eggers really likes your piece. Excellent. Next up, we have actually another one of our authors who read at the LA Times Festival of Books, and I don't want to say too much about this, but I remember the very first day that we went into Marshall to start working on this book, and Bonnie, who is one of my coworkers, she told me about this student and about this piece that she was writing, and I thought to myself, Jesus, I've, I've got to read this. And it took me actually a couple of weeks to get around to it, but by that point, the piece was already in such great shape, and it only got better um, by the time the project finished. And so I want to welcome up Cindy Canello, who I'm sure is going to win you over just like she did me. Okay, hello. Um, my book is called The Peach That Bugged Me. I am home alone, swimming in a pool of heat. My dog was walking around the house, dragging his tongue on the floor as if it weighed a ten. That was the day my aunt called me to ask me if I wanted to go over to her house. Her house wasn't that great, but I would rather go to her house than be in my oven. When she showed up, I was relieved that I was that I was going to stop baking. I got into her car, which was hotter than ever. So far, leaving my house to escape the heat wasn't operating as planned. Once we showed up to my aunt's house, she got out of the car to open the gate. My aunt had this really nice garden behind the gate. The garden contained everything, peach trees, apple trees, lemons, and even roses. I noticed she pulled a really big peach off her peach tree. When she got back in the car, she asked me if I wanted it. She knows how much I love peaches in the middle of summer. As I was biting into this big juicy peach, the heat in the car just disappeared. But when I looked at the peach, I saw a big wiggly white worm moving like it was dancing to the music in the car. Once I came out of shock, I threw the peach out the window, crazed that I had a worm. My aunt busted out in laughter, but I didn't think it was so funny. We got out the car and I followed her up the stairs, knowing I was about to walk into the only place hotter than my oven. I walked up the stairs and got even more apprehensive, thinking all the worst thoughts possible. As I stepped on the first step, I wondered, why am I even here? Second step, why would she give me a peach with a worm in it? Third step, man, life sucks. Finally, on the 15th step, I just lost it. I couldn't take all these thoughts that were going through my head. Why is my life so stupid? Why is it so hot? Should it even get this hot in LA? What's <laughs> why is my aunt so short? Is that normal? Is my, <laughs> is my cousin home? I think I need to shower my dog. Why is he so fluffy? Is that why I named him Fluffy? I was so lost in my mental tired that I didn't realize I had walked into the house. I couldn't even enjoy the taste of the peach that was still in my mouth. When I walked in, I noticed my cousin sitting on the table. He looked, he took one look at my face and he asked me what was wrong. Furious, I told him that there was an enormous worm in my peach. As he started to giggle, I stepped out my shoes and I imagined him biting into the peach and the reaction I would see on his face as he saw a worm moving around. So I started laughing too. Man, was I dumb reacting the way I did over the peach. I let the littlest thing bug me in the biggest way. The whole day I was senseless about something that was pretty funny. I always thought I was the only one who blows infinitesimal things out of proportion. But I'm starting to realize that everyone does. Even though I realize it, I still haven't learned from it. I guess I will have to bite into another peach to learn my lesson.
Excellent. Thank you, Cindy. Um, next up, we have a last-minute addition, actually, to tonight's lineup. She was actually one of our first choices to read tonight. And then there was a conflict with a dance class, and apparently she was able to get out of it. And she's here tonight. And hmm? anyways, um, yeah. Um, so we'll have Nora Kachatrian come forward. And this is one of the more unexpected lessons to come out of this book of lessons learned. So Nora Kachatrian. Thank you. Um, my story is about my baby sister. I was seven years old and was my parents an only child, but I wanted a little sister and I wanted one for so long. So I decided I would get my way by being a brat. And I created a bratty plan. I did crazy stuff. I started by begging my mom and dad every single day, Kurikas Uzumam, Kurik I told and I told them in Armenian, I wanted a sister, get me a sister right now. <laughs> but after a week it seemed like nothing had happened. <laughs> They were just ignoring what I was saying, so I decided to take it to the next level. Plan B was to run away from home. I went into my room, got my Winnie the Pooh suitcase, and started packing my clothes. In, a, in my sneaky mind, I was planning to go to my grandma's house three buildings down. I zipped up my suitcase, went to the door, and I was about to leave when my mom stopped me. Where are you going with the suitcase, she asked me. With tears in my eyes, I told her, I'm running away. You're not bringing me a sister. I'm leaving. <laughs> she said to me, no, no, my baby, don't leave. I love you, and I, I think you'll get a sister. Just wait until your dad comes home so we can talk about it, okay? When my dad came home, the conversation started. My mom started telling my dad what bratty things I had done that day just to get her attention and to make sure they get, get my message. I was never going to stop until I got my sister. From there, though, they didn't really let me listen to the rest of the conversation. I just heard them laughing. I, a few months later, I had comp completely forgotten about wanting a little sister. But one day when I came home from school all tired, my mom told me good news. It was the greatest news in my life. She was five months pregnant, and she already knew it was going to be a girl. I was going to have a sister. I started jumping around and singing to myself. The next four months flew by. It was soon spring with pretty flowers blooming everywhere and my beautiful sister was soon going to bloom too. Although I didn't know yet. The date was April 10, 2002 uh, and I was in Ms. Poployan's class with my classmates doing math worksheets. When some, someone knocked on the door, everybody looked to see who it was, but I didn't really care because I love doing math worksheets. <laughs> math was my favorite subject. Then I heard my aunt's voice. She was yelling out, Nora, John, Nora, your little sister is born. Those words meant the world to me. And my classmates surprised me reacting to the news by screaming, yay, go Nora, yay. <laughs> in the car on the way to the hospital, I was holding my grandma's hand and waiting impa impatiently to welcome the 
new member of our family. The second my aunt stopped the car into the parking lot, I opened the door and started running in inside. Uh, when I got to, the, to their room, the first thing I saw was my baby sister wrapped in a blanket inside a little baby tank. My baby sister was being kissed by everybody in the room. And what I wanted most of all was to hold her. Now the part I remember the best was when I finally held her in, our, in my arms. The smile on my face was so wide and big it made my cheeks ache. I would love to live that day again, but I also remember how when I held her, tears started dropping down her face and she started yelling her lungs out. <laughs> while, uh, while a part of me felt happy because I was holding her in my arms, a part of me also felt bad. I, was, I guessed she didn't like me. I asked my mom, what was her name? And my mom answered back saying, Anahit Rita Khachaturyan. As I was held, holding her, I was thinking in my head, Anahi, I love you. You don't know what I've done to have a little sister. You just have to realize, Anahi, that sometimes if you're a brat, you can get your way in life. <laughs> my sister was something new in my life. For, the, for then on, I had to feed her and put her to sleep. It was hard work, but I had, help, I had helped. She doesn't really need my help now because she is older. She sometimes annoys me, but that's what little sisters are for. My advice to you is that when you are a brat, you can sometimes get your way, but you have to create a good plan first. Anahi took take my advice and now she is the brattiest sister I know but I still love her even if she does craziest things ever I love you Anahit thank you I can't top that moment. Um, so I'm just going to move on to the next reader, I guess. This is our last reader for tonight. Um, this is Fi Nguyen, and he's going to be reading an excerpt from a movie starring Fi Nguyen. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I will be reading a movie starring Fi Nguyen by <laughs> I left that room with confidence and the cockiest grin ever. At the elevator, I saw my brother and walked over to him. The look on my face must have foreshadowed his assumption. You got it, didn't you? I had it before I even walked into the room. Too easy. You only got it because of me, he said. Yeah, right. I'll be manager in a few days. I left for my permanent cocky grin in place. When I saw my car, my grin turned out not to be permanent. My beautiful, wonderful trooper of a car was still overheating. I told myself, think positively. I just got the job and nothing could bring me down. I drove to a little Mexican shop and asked for a gallon of water. There was two ladies at the shop, the nicest ladies I've ever met. Although they barely spoke a word of English, they knew I was in trouble. 
The look on my face was universal in any country. They gladly helped me. I had no money with me, but luckily they said it was free. I filled up my car with that, the water and moved on. My car ran like a champion, but only for 10 minutes. <laughs> I pulled over in a residential area and popped the hood of my car. I looked for the problem and had no clue what it could be. I stared at the engine for 20 minutes and finally called my brother with the whole story. He told me he'd meet me in another 20 minutes after he got off work. Right when I hung up, an old man came out of his house, limping on a cane and wearing a shabby army jacket. He looked old, but wise. He saw that universal look on my face and asked if I needed help. He knew what the problem was right away. He found the leaking hose, cut it, so it would be just long enough to reach the radiator. The old man also gave me some words of advice. When happens, you need to take it by the hands, grab it, and deal with it. Amen to that, I said. We both laughed, and as I waited for my car to cool down completely, he told me about his military life, how he hates the government but loves his country, and about his three marriages. He told me to never get married. This, this old man didn't care who I was, but spoke his mind like I was his best friend. I had a good time listening to him. I wanted to give the old man some money, but I didn't have any. I had a box of Capri Suns in my car, so I gave it to him. He didn't know what they were, so I showed him how to open one of the pouches. He loved it and took the whole box. I left with my trooper car and drove her worry-free because my baby was finally fixed. I actually drove her around my block three times that day just because I didn't want to stop driving. Lying in bed that night, I looked back on my day and realized how nice people are. They're not just greedy capitalists out there. They are actually nice and caring people. The tow, the tow truck driver, the two Mexican ladies, and the old man, they all helped me for no money at all. Today, my, my life felt like a movie. Everything that happened, happened for a reason. And everything happened so smoothly. So that was a little excerpt. We may be spoiled at the end of Fee's movie, but that's cool. It's still a good movie, guys. It opens up a section of the book called Riding Off Into the Sunset, and you can maybe see why. Um, we're almost to the end of, I guess, the event tonight. Um, and before we get along to book signings and your chance to get even more refreshments to learn more about 826Lite, to get your book signed by the authors, how great is that? Um, yeah, let's clap for that. <laughs> okay, um, we have a couple of more words, not from me actually. I'd like to invite up Terry Class, one of the teachers, and Cesar Franco, one of the authors and students on the editorial board, just to say a little bit about their experience with the project. Thank you all for coming tonight. Um, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to um, end this season and this semester on such a high note. It's moments like tonight that um, give teachers and educators the faith and the inspiration um, to know that we're doing the best that we can for our students. Um, I'd like to especially thank our partnership with organizations in our community like 826 that help make it possible. Julius and Joel, your uh, absolute generosity to Marshall students has been immeasurable. 
thank you for sharing um, Dave Edgar's vision and commitment to literacy. Our students have a lot to say. We need to listen to our kids. They need to know how to express what their, their ideas and their experiences and share that with others. It's how, that we, how we connect best to the world we live in. I'd like to thank the volunteers for their dedication. To our teachers, um, Mr. Brown, Mr. Coleman, and Mr. Moran. For, thank you for opening their doors. To our students, for sitting down and taking out their paper, pencils, and erasers and working so hard week after week. I'm also especially proud of this book because it was our first um, multi-grade level compilation which um, shows the voices of so many of our students that are included in the pages. Um, it shows the um, the how it shows how community students and teachers can come together and create a really amazing um, product and most of all it shows that the celebration of public education at its very best we're so proud of the work that these kids have done I'd like to conclude this um, uh, evening by turning um, the podium over to our senior graduating student Caesar Franco This project, this project gave me the chance to represent the special ed community and let them know that we're not alone. Being a, being part of the advisory board gave me a lot of confidence because I had boys that matters. One last lesson that I learned from this project, do not wait for someone to grab your hand. I learned how to take care of myself this past year and I am ready for the journey ahead. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoyed the book. Okay, we're almost to the end everyone, but I mean, it's kind of great. I'm not sure we want this to end. One thing about Cesar Franco, um, his piece in the book is called A Lesson for Teachers and it's amazing. You all need to read it. Um, it is so amazing, in fact, that 826 National and the New Press have picked up um, an updated, expanded version of the piece for an inclusion in a book of theirs that's coming out next summer. So Cesar Franco is going to be in two books come next year. And with that being said, um, Joel. I always, have, I always have to do this. I, I lose this man for three months when these projects happen. And he is the, one of the most dedicated, devoted people I've ever met. Um, I love seeing him geek out when these things go on because he, he loves every minute of this. And I wanted you guys to give him a, a round of applause for working so hard making it happen.
And, and also, just once again, I really, really, I, uh, you guys, we thank the students, we thank teachers, but the volunteers. Um, we would not exist if it weren't for those amazing people standing in the back right there who take time out of their day to go into these classrooms, many of them already working full-time jobs, who believe in what we're doing and make us make this happen. So thank you all very much. And uh, I just wanted to say that. Um, and, and support this bookstore, all right? This is an amazing bookstore. Buy as much as you can. If you have money, just buy stuff, because it's you need to keep these places alive. And this is the places that collect the stories. Your book is going to be here, and it's going to be in other bookstores. It's going to be online. It's Romans and book super starters, and more coming. And it's going to be all over the place, So, but buy it here, OK? All right, thank you so much, Noel, again, for opening it up for us. Okay. Thanks, Joel. So, getting down to the last tiny bits of business. Um, we're here to celebrate, guys. Refreshments for the students who haven't gotten their books. Come up, get your books. Um, let's see, to buy your books, I mentioned this, I'm going to mention it again. You can go straight back to the register and pick up your copy, copies maybe, of You Never Forget How to Ride a Bike up there. And then you can come up here to get it signed by the students. And I guess, I think it's perhaps most appropriate to finish off the night by you know, congratulating the students one more time. But before we do that, I want to get all of the students in one place. So I'm going to ask all of the students to come up here to this space we have right now. And seriously, let's, let's hold off on the applause until they're all here so that we can make sure they all come up here. And I see you guys behind the shelves. <laughs> Andrea, I will come back there and look for you. <laughs> OK, come on. Anyone else? That's Daryl, not a student. Anyone back there? Daniel, see anyone? Okay. Jenny, Irvin, yes. Okay. John's coming. Here's Fee. Here's Jocelyn. And I think this is it. This is a great time to take pictures, guys. One big one. Congrats. been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Ashley and Arlo. You can check them out at MySpace or Facebook or at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you for stopping by and we hope to see you soon.